This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. All right, if you're ready for the word, put your hand over your heart and let me pray for you. God, would you open up our hearts and minds today? Would something change on the inside of us? Would the word of God be planted down deeply inside? Would there be something that happens in us that only the word of God can do? So Lord, we remove any and all expectations from what you should do and we just say yes to whatever you wanna do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. There are people who experience God and stay the same. That statement alone might make you a little bit uncomfortable. But there are people in the Bible who experienced God and stayed the same. Think about the rich young ruler. He experienced Jesus, was given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and denied him and left. His life stayed the same. The Bible doesn't even record his name. What about this other figure? What about Pontius Pilate, the one that delivered Jesus to the Jews to be crucified? He experienced Jesus, even had a conversation with him, and stayed the same. But then there are those people in the Bible who experienced Jesus and were not the same. Something changed. They were never the same. Today, we're going to talk about two strangers who met at a well on a hot afternoon in Samaria. One was a woman, one was a man. We don't know the woman's name, but the man was Jesus. Their brief conversation changed her life forever. Today we're beginning a series called Not the Same. Everybody say, Not the Same. Each week we're going to meet somebody who met Jesus face to face. Some of their stories will be familiar to you, others will be new to you, but these encounters are valuable for what they reveal about Jesus and what they teach us about the common problems of life. Although 2,000 years have passed since Jesus walked the earth, his words remain incredibly relevant. Time will change, but the human heart remains the same. We all have hopes and fears and dreams and doubts and We struggle with the same problems of uncontrolled anger, foolish choices, misplaced priorities, hypocrisy, guilt, indifference, apathy, frivolous curiosity, misguided ambition, limited faith, convenient excuses, nagging doubt, compulsive busyness, broken dreams, and personal failure. We all deal with the same things that they dealt with thousands of years ago. Sometimes I hear about people talking about, let's make the Bible relevant. What an odd notion I believe that is because all I believe I need to do is make the Bible clear. The Bible is relevant, has been relevant, will always be relevant. The Bible will tell it like it is and it will be so relevant that you may not wanna hear it. The Bible is absolutely relevant to your life today. Today is a story called The Woman at the Well. Everybody say, The Woman at the Well. As I've studied this week, I've been struck by how simple and profound this story is. It's a beautiful story. A man meets a woman in a seemingly chance encounter. In a few brief moments, her life has changed forever. There are lessons in this story about things like racial prejudice, religious hatred, and dealing with moral outcasts. This story also conveys valuable truth about how to do evangelism. And as we begin, I should note, this is an interesting fact, 
I should note that this is the longest recorded conversation in the New Testament Jesus ever had with anybody. It's longer than any recorded conversation with any of his disciples. And as, as we begin today, I want us to really have in our heart and mind that God was gonna do something in our spirit today. Let's look at John chapter four. We're gonna go through some scripture and stop, go through some scripture and stop, and we're gonna unpack some things together today. Wearied by his long journey, Jesus sat at the edge of Jacob's well and sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. She replied, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water, for Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and that well is very deep. Don't we always answer Jesus like that? I mean, he, he brings up something spiritual and then we make it practical. Sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is very deep, so where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug from this well and drank it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks of the living water that I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink this water so I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here and draw water. Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. And the woman answered, but I'm not married. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. Let's stop there for a second. A lot has already happened. Jesus does not waste time getting down to the nitty gritty. But you, are, you might already be thinking that this is a message about cohabitation, it's not. You might be thinking this is a premarital counseling session, it's not. Let's look at the geography here. In Jesus' day, the, the land was split into three. There was Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, and Judea to the south. Jesus was getting, going back to Galilee, and it said that he, in verse three, that he had to go through Samaria. But what we know is that Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, as a rabbi, it was actually looked down upon that Jesus went through Samaria to get to Galilee. So you gotta look at the geography here a little bit to understand that even the most pious of rabbis, they would have looked down on Jesus and said, why are you in the land of Samaria and why are you dealing with Samaritans? Why are you going through this region of Perea and then go north, they would go, they would go through Perea, they would go north and then they would recross the Jordan River. The rabbis, they would do, the Jews would do most absurd things to not have to deal with Samaria. They just don't wanna go there. Now here's the history of it, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. This dates all the way back to 722 BC when, when Assyria conquered Israel. 
And then the Assyrians and, and conquered Israel. They moved Gentiles into the region between Galilee and Judea. And then they intermarried. And then they even created a lot of their own religion. Don't we do that sometimes where we mix stuff that God says and stuff grandma said and we kind of make it a thing? And that's what they did. They had this folk religion. And the Jews looked down upon Samaritans as inbreds, as irreligious inbreds. So there was this, this racial tension between Jews and Samaritans and their pagan ways. And the Jews looked down on them as half-breed heretics and they just did not want anything to do with them. Now that brings us back to verse three. Why did Jesus say, I have to go through Samaria? I believe his disciples were probably going, no, we don't. I don't want to go through there. I've already map quested how to, who loses map quests anymore? I've already used, I've already charted it out. I've already highlighted my paper map. I've already gotten there. Brings us back to verse three. Why did Jesus think he needed to go through it as quickly as possible? Why? The answer is simple and profound. Jesus went through Samaria because he intended to meet that woman. He knew she would be coming to the well at precisely that moment that he was sitting there weary from his journey. Nothing happens by chance in this story. Every detail is part of God working out his will. And I think that this is a hugely important point. The woman isn't looking for Jesus. All she wants is water. But Jesus is looking for her. You have to go to Samaria if you want to reach Samaritans. He doesn't avoid Samaria or, or go through it, or he doesn't hurry through it, he rests in the middle of a place that other rabbis wouldn't be caught dead in. The conversation begins with a simple question from Jesus, will you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. He's tired, and he needs the water that she has. But the water she needs, he, see, he was thirsty. He was thirsty, and he, he knew it. But she was thirsty and did not know it. She was coming for something and she didn't know what she was about to get. The woman did not come to the well seeking Christ. She came to just get water, but he came seeking her. Even Luke 19.10 tells us that Jesus, the Lord Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. This story is, is a great picture of sovereign grace. He found her. She didn't find him. And that's true for all of us. He found us. What happens in this chapter looks like a chance encounter, but it was nothing of the kind. This is, this is a beautiful picture of sovereign grace. And I'm gonna give you three things today, and, and I believe that it's, it's really gonna help unpack this. We're gonna dig into some more of the story. The first one is she was seen. The woman was seen. Everybody say seen. Even though there was racial issues, there, there were other, there was a gender barrier, there was a, wall, a, a racial wall, a moral wall, and a religious wall. Jesus looks at those four invisible walls between him and her, and it means nothing to him. Aren't you glad that the walls you and I have erected between us and Jesus, he sees right through it to the person we are? I'm glad that my walls don't disqualify me from God loving me. He didn't cancel her, he came close to her, right to the core of her issues. She was alone. We know this about this woman. She was alone. But Jesus saw her. He saw her. She was alone. She should not have been alone. 
It was in Samaria. It was, it was part of the women's daily duties to go get the water. She should not have been alone. Why was she alone? She was morally outcast. One divorce would have made her morally outcast. She's had five, and now she's given up. We know that she's given up. She's not even gonna risk marriage again. She's shacking up with the sixth guy. So there, there's, there's this moral outcast, a racial outcast, and because she's a woman, she shouldn't be talking to a male rabbi alone. Do you see the picture here? She should not be in this scenario. And then Jesus, on purpose, put her there, put himself in the middle of the situation, and he sees her. I love that God sees behind the mask to the reality within. Why does Jesus bring up her past? Is it to embarrass her? No. Jesus does not want to embarrass her. His instruction to, for her to call her husband makes her very uncomfortable, though, because she says, I have no husband, so she tells a little bit of the truth, but she doesn't tell the whole truth. And so then Jesus proceeds to reveal the rest of the story for her. Jesus brings up her current situation and her past. In the, is it, him doing that was the most loving thing that he could have done for her. There is an important spiritual principle at work here. Without conviction of sin, there can be no conversion. Without conviction of sin, there can be no conversion. God sees behind the mask. Until we come to grips with the reality and the sickness of our sin and our own willful disobedience to God, we cannot be saved. Is Jesus being cruel? No more than the doctor who wants to prescribe surgery to save your life. The doctor wants to remove the tumor to save your life. Jesus is doing the same thing here. And in Mark 2, he says it's not the, wealthy who need, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love that Jesus came looking for me even in the middle of my big mess. By asking about her husband, he exposes the woman's lifelong pursuit of happiness. Evidently, she entered one failed relationship after another. And each time she would have said, this is the man, this time I'll be happy, this time it'll work out. And every time she was disappointed. Now she won't even risk marriage. But the words of Jesus reveal a deep-seated loneliness in her. A hole in her heart that no man could fill Far from being irrelevant, these words of Jesus go to the core of her problem and ours. Now, let me pause and ask a question right now. Does Jesus love this woman? Yes. Yes, he does. He knows the truth about her current situation and still offers her eternal life. And this is the wonder of God's grace. Only someone who loves you can look at your past without blinking. Real love means knowing the truth about someone else and reaching out to them anyway. He's not ashamed of her past, but he cannot help her until she gets beyond her shame and admits the truth. She's almost there, but she's not quite yet saved. She's near the kingdom, but she's not yet through the door. Jesus laid bare what she thought she could keep hidden, and that always makes sinners uncomfortable. She wants to change the subject, which is what she does. And I believe this, that she was seen. Number two, everyone say saved. She was saved. She was seen, 
and she was saved. We know that's true based on her actions thereafter experiencing Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at John chapter four. The woman's uncomfortable, so it says she changed the subject. Don't you and I do that to Jesus? We change the subject. You must be a prophet. I love that she like starts to try to build Jesus up to, to get him to forget that she has a, a lot of mess. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship on this nearby mountain, but you people say we have to worship God on this mountain? Who is right? So she, she changes the subject, and then she tries to get into a theological argument with Jesus. So she's totally, do y'all see how she just sidestepped the entire problem and just started to make it about church issues? Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or a mountain in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from Jews that salvation is available, talking about the seed of David. From now on, worshiping the Father will be a matter of, not be a matter of right place, but of right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of spirit and in truth. And then the woman said what you and I would say, this is all so confusing. But I do know that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one, or the Messiah, is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. See, the needs people have are not always the needs they feel. And what Jesus is offering is not a feeling of satisfaction for a felt need, but a genuine satisfaction for a real need. And she was religious, or, or at least knew her religious history, because she starts to, tries to start this argument with Jesus, a Jew, about Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans would have worshiped, or Mount Zion, which is where the Jews would have worshiped. So she tries to distract the conversation with this issue. And, and can I tell you this? This is what I know to be true. Religion separates, but Jesus connects. Religion separates, but Jesus connects. We all just say that with me, one, two, three. Religion separates, but Jesus connects. What a powerful, powerful truth. Anytime we find ourselves trying to separate us, separate us from Jesus, it's usually a religious issue. It's usually something going on. Now I want you to take in the simplicity of these verses. In verse 10, Jesus says, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. That's all salvation is. It's simple. It's asking God to save you and receiving salvation in return. Think about that. Heaven itself is yours for the asking. Just Ask for it. In verse 15, the woman even says, give me this water. She didn't understand what she meant, but she wanted what Jesus had. One of the great truths to come out of this story is that God is greater than geography, race, class, sex, and religious tradition. He's greater than all of it. See, true worship is not about where or how or even when. It's about who you are and who God is. God desires worship based on truth, a wholehearted personal commitment to him. Now there's good news and bad news in that statement. 
The bad news is that religious activity doesn't count. Going to church, being baptized, giving money, praying six times a day, following the Ten Commandments, having a quiet time every day with your favorite book from the Christian bookstore, those things, as good as they are, and they are truly good things, do not count to God when it comes to your salvation. If it did, then you would be trying to earn your salvation and then it wouldn't be true grace. The worship God accepts must be based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus and offered to him in a humble heart of faith. But there's equally good news in this statement. If God wants, if God wants his spirit and truth, then anyone can qualify. Salvation is not limited to Jews. The good news is that it's meant for everyone, and that's what the gospel means. It's the good news. This is God's equal access provision. Everybody is accepted. See, salvation is not about going to the right mountain. It's about going to Jesus for salvation. So it's not about doing all of these religious things. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not about God, well, I did all of these things for you. Shouldn't that be good enough? Doesn't it say in the New Testament that they come to Jesus on the day of judgment and Jesus says, I don't know who you are. But God, I cast out demons in your name and I pulled the church trailer in your name and I set up chairs in your name and I, I ran the projector in your name. God, doesn't that count for something? And he's like, I don't know who you are because you had religious activity and no relationship with me. So he goes past all of religion and goes straight to the woman's heart. Slowly, the truth is dawning on her. She's heard that the Messiah will someday come to earth. Imagine her surprise when Jesus says, I who speak to you am he, verse 26. Jesus is claiming identity with God. No doubt this woman was blown away. She came for water in the middle of the day and she ends up meeting the water of life face to face. She was saved. And we know that's true, that this woman was converted between verses 26 and 27 because of what she does. She leaves her water pot and goes to tell other people about Jesus. Verse three, or sorry, point three is she was sent. So she was saved, she was seen, and she was sent. Jesus saw her right where she was, did not judge her nor condemn her, yet she felt conviction. And then she was saved because she did something with that conviction. She received Jesus as the Messiah. And then she could not keep her mouth shut about it. And honestly, isn't that the mark of someone who's met Jesus? The mark of someone who has met Jesus, they can't stop talking about it. They can't stop talking about Jesus. And I love that it was so simple for her. She came to everybody and said, he knows me. He knows me. That's not exactly the Apostles' Creed, is it? She said, I think he's the Messiah. Can I tell you something? God uses those who are willing to be used. Notice her invitation to the people of Sychar. She doesn't say, you must be born again. Turn or burn. She doesn't say any of that. She says, come and see. Come and see. Isn't that what Philip said to Nathaniel in John chapter one, verse 46? No threats, no, no promises, just, just come and see for yourself. Her invitation is sincere, non-threatening, and open to everyone. When Jesus gives you living water, you want to share it with someone else. 
John chapter four, verse 39 through 42. Many from the Samaritan village became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them, so he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more people coming to faith in him because of his message. The Samaritan said to the woman, now we've heard him ourselves. We no longer believe just because of what you've told us, but we're convinced that the reality, that, that he really is the true savior of the world. This is a wonderful lesson in the powerful gospel. One woman with inadequate knowledge and just a mustard seed of faith, a tiny little bit of faith, brings her whole town to Jesus. Talk about an evangelism explosion. This is it. And she never attended any classes, went to Bible school, or read any books. She met Jesus. Her life was transformed, and she couldn't stop talking about it. Even in Eastern Orthodox tradition, or in Greek Orthodox tradition, and even in some Catholic circles, you will find that they have come to believe that this woman's name was Fotini. She's been venerated as a saint thereafter. Although unnamed in the biblical account, church tradition identifies this woman as Fotini. Some studies will yield many interesting stories about her post-conversion ministry. And as I began to study her, I began to see why they believed that this was this woman. She was considered by Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ before her martyrdom. History records her as the first New Testament evangelist to win a city to Christ. Come on, ladies, this is for you. The first person to, to reach an entire city for Jesus. See, God is faithful to use anyone to reach others when we're honest to tell others that Jesus knows everything we've ever done and he still loves me. Some historical texts say that she left Sikar when Paul was martyred, when Paul was crucified. She left Sikar and went to Carthage to keep preaching the message of Jesus and then therefore herself was, was crucified. So who are you influencing towards Jesus? If you, if, you, if you might be in one of those three camps, you might be somebody that Jesus sees today and you know that you're seen and that Jesus loves you. And that you might be someone who's receiving salvation today and you, and you might be saying, I, I can't believe that Jesus loves me this much and I know I got a lot to learn and I know I've messed up and I know I'm still in the middle of my mess and I've gotta let God turn that into a message. I know that there's a lot of issues but I know that this man is real and he knows me. Come and see. And you might be someone who already knows Jesus and you know that Jesus loves you and you know that Jesus sees you and you know that Jesus has redeemed you and saved your life and you need to be sent. If we've not told anybody about our faith, I wonder how real is our faith in Jesus to begin with? If we've truly received living water and we're not sharing it with anybody, have we truly drank of living water? And I'm not talking about a random Facebook post of your Bible that you've edited that looked real churchy next to your cup of coffee in the morning. I'm not talking about your post on the internet. I'm talking about a true, real, everyday, I know Jesus kind of life. Have we truly drank of living water? And I'm talking to Christians now. Have you truly drank 
of the living water based on your behaviors after having received Jesus. If you say, I received Jesus and then nothing changes, I beg to differ that you truly met the one face to face that you should have met. Because when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes and you begin this this whole path. I remember what it was like when I truly came into my salvation experience. See, I knew church, but I didn't know God. I knew how to sing and lead worship and do all of that, but I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus for myself. I I wonder how many of us are in that place right now. And all of you are influencers of somebody. All of us are influencers. How many of us, we don't even know the names of our next door neighbors, but we you know, pull into our garage every Sunday or every day and shut the door so no one can see us walk in our house. They don't even know what, you don't even know what they look like, much less their name. How many of us don't even, uh, haven't told anybody about our faith? I'm wondering this, if you can agree with this statement. The field is ripe, but the influencers are few. Because the disciples show back up after getting a bunch of food because they were hungry, Jesus was hungry. The disciples show back up and they see Jesus talking to a woman, and they're like, oh no, oh no. And then they find out she's a Samaritan. They're like, oh gosh, this is gonna ruin everything. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Jesus, if word gets out that you've been here alone with a woman talking to a Samaritan and asking her for water, do you know what that's gonna do to your ministry when we get to Galilee? And they wouldn't have been wrong to bring that up to their boss. But then Jesus completely redirects them And the woman has therefore already run away and then the whole city is coming across the mountainside and then Jesus looks at him and says, the field is ripe for the harvest. They didn't know anything that he said to the woman. They were looking at the outward perspective. They didn't ask Jesus, what'd you say to the woman? They didn't care to learn the spiritual lesson. All they cared about was how it looked. And then Jesus points to the field and says, look, look at what's coming. So don't talk to me about religion, Peter. Look at the field. The whole city's coming. He did something no other rabbi had ever done and therefore reaped the harvest that no other rabbi had ever reaped, brought her into a genuine experience with him and taught the disciples to be influencers. You are all influencers. So what do we see in our story? We see that no one is too sinful to be saved. Isn't that good news? Somebody say amen to that. Nobody's too sinful to be saved. Next thing we see is that no one who encounters Jesus will ever be the same again. If you truly encounter Jesus and receive him, you'll never be the same again. And then no one who receives Jesus can keep quiet about it. We see this in this story, and I believe this story is a great model for revival in our current situation. Because a lot of people are looking for churches to create a good enough worship service for you to feel comfortable, so you'll bring your friends and hopefully they feel comfortable, and then maybe one day, just maybe, you'll get saved. But I believe that the Bible is relevant now, and I hope that you're comfortable, and I hope that you enjoy the coffee and all of that. I'm glad that we have all of that. But what I'm saying is, is that is not church. That's not church. You are the church, and you exist for the world. Jesus never, ever built a church. Jesus never ran a giving campaign to build a building. 
Jesus created a bunch of small groups, left for heaven and said, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed up and then thousands of people started to get saved. There wasn't any drama until the disciples started organizing things. And then they organized it by committee and took a vote and that just kind of blew up in their face. I wonder how many of us can find ourselves in this story. Can you find yourself in her story? Take a look at this video and let's see if we can identify with her. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. The woman said, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Jesus replied, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The book of John, chapter four. They say your life could change in an instant. And mine did when a Jewish man asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. I have been drinking from the same well for more years than I could count. For me, change seemed impossible. I didn't even want it. But the well always left me thirsty. So I came back to it over and over when no one else could see me. I always came alone. The truth was, I had no husband. He told the truth, the real part of my life, the one I tried to hide, but he looked right through me and met me where I was. He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't angry. In my life, I thought I'd experienced love. I thought I was pretty good at finding it too. I didn't even know what love was. On an ordinary day, I went to draw water and had a thirst quenched I didn't even know I had. I don't know if they'll believe me, but I gotta try. I gotta tell them I found the Messiah. Rather, he found me. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I wonder, are we going back to the same wells over and over and over and over and still remaining thirsty afterwards? Are we going back to the same things over and over and over and nothing's changing? Are we living lives for Jesus 
those of us that are Christians, but we know that we're too afraid to tell anybody about Jesus. And now you're wondering, do you really know him? For all of those questions, there's an answer today, and it's the same answer for all of us. Come back to the Messiah. Come to Jesus. Come find what real love is. Come find what true meaning of life is, and you'll never be the same. We're all gonna pray together for those that wanna receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior today. We're all gonna pray with you. We're not gonna embarrass you or call you down front or anything like that. Maybe some of you are you're wanting to rededicate your life to Jesus and you've met him at the well once before and you want that spark back in your life. Whatever your situation, whatever you're feeling right now in this moment, you can experience Jesus. Come to him. You'll let us know on your connection card here in a minute. There's a box you'll check that says, I made a fresh start with God today. But right now, this moment is between you and Jesus. Imagine yourself right now, it's you at the well, expecting to receive one thing, but you've been offered another. And in this moment, everything can change. Don't be like one of those people we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that experienced Jesus and walk away the same. You can experience Jesus today and never be the same. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my soul. Come be my king. Come be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my apathy and my indifference. I come to the well wanting you, so I receive you today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Your word tells me that when I receive you, I am never the same. So I boldly declare it today that I'm not the same. And I never will be. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, would you give God praise today? Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.